And this morning, we're going to be camping out in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 4. So, um, uh, while you're getting ready to go there, and by the way, we have Bibles available on the back table. If you don't have a Bible, they're waiting to be taken. They're free. You can keep them. Uh, We just encourage you to read it and apply it, obey it. Uh, that's, That's the cool stuff about the Bible. It's the greatest book that you'll ever read. And um, it, it shows you the character of who God is. So this morning, uh, we're going to talk about Liz Curtis Higgs to kick things off. Last Sunday, for those of you that were here, we talked about Alan Langham, uh, the dude from England, and how messed up his life was, and how he was at the point of calling it quits because his life had just tanked in every direction. He had been in and out of prison seven times, and It was while he was in prison on that seventh time that he finally put his faith in Christ. This morning, Liz Curtis Higgs tells about the time growing up in in her home and her parents, um, you know, were, were hoping that she would grow up to be an awesome lady. But she said, things went wrong where I stole a cigarette out of my mom's purse. That was where things started to go wrong, and I started hanging around the, the, the wrong crowd, and um, I started cutting school for an hour a day, then it was a half a day, and then it was a whole day. Some of you are thinking, well, that doesn't sound so bad. Anyway, she started smoking pot in high school as well, and by her 20th birthday, she says that I was spending five nights a week on a bar stool with southern comfort in my glass and longing in my eyes. Like the country song says, I was looking for love in all the wrong places. I found companionship with many, but comfort in none. And she became a radio personality, a disc jockey, uh, traveling from town to town, uh, up and down the dial through her 20s, including a stint with a hard rock station in Detroit, Uh, where Howard Stern did the morning show and she did the afternoons. So Howard Stern, some of you may uh, recognize that name. As a one-sentence summary of how low my values had plummeted, even Howard, she said, once shook his head at me and said, Liz, you've got to clean up your act. That's pretty bad, you would say. Well, it wasn't that my on-air show was in trouble It was my risky off-air escapades that needed changing. One of the problems with Liz was that she had been burned by so many men. Men had come into her life, used her, left her, and her heart had been broken so many times that she became a very, very angry woman. So by the fall of 1981... She found herself in Louisville, Kentucky, playing oldies on an AM station and playing dangerous games after with marijuana, speed, cocaine, alcohol, and a very promiscuous lifestyle. That's Liz Curtis Hicks. She said, my life, man, hit the bottom of the barrel. I couldn't couldn't go any farther. She said, as I was leaning over in my pit of despair at work, 
a husband and wife team started working at the same radio station that I did. And they were very successful in their field. And even though they, they had tasted success, the most important thing they talked about was Jesus. They talked about Jesus to me. And it seemed like they accepted me. Can you imagine when they met me and all the stuff that I had gone through? They probably thought to themselves, man, now there's a project. Well, they didn't treat me like a project. They treated me like a friend who needed to hear something serious about the great love of Jesus Christ. Simply put, they loved me with a love so compelling that I was powerless to resist it. So the lady who loved Christ started inviting Liz to her church. So one day Liz says, okay, okay, I'll go to church one time and one time only, and that'll do it. But Liz says, I remember February 21st, 1982, just like it was yesterday. It was my seventh Sunday at this church, and I was singing in the choir. And at the end of the seventh Sunday service, the congregation was singing, I have decided to follow Jesus, just like this. You've sung that song, haven't you? Yeah. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Yeah, yeah. So while that song was being sung, something was going on inside Liz's heart, her core. She left the choir loft and walked to the front of the auditorium to place her faith in Christ. And she said the whole alto section gasped. We thought she was one of us. Finally, Liz says, I said, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. And that was 37 years ago. Hmm. So she placed her faith in Christ. She went back to work. She started telling her co-workers and colleagues about her newfound faith in Jesus. First, one of her co-workers put their faith in Christ, then a second, and then a third, and it went on and on. And today, Liz is a well-known Christian author and speaker. And here's the deal. Even though Liz was in the choir singing away, she was not a follower of Christ, you see. And you may be here this morning and you think, man, I've done, I'm doing my, my spiritual duty. God must be smiling because I'm doing a good thing. I'm in church on a Sunday morning. Friend, that will never, never get you into heaven. It wasn't until Liz got out of that choir loft and placed her faith in Christ that she, in fact, became a follower of Jesus. And this morning, if you have never done that, if you have never put your trust in Christ, today is a great opportunity to do that very thing, just like Liz did so many years ago. So let's go to the book of John and we're going to read the first 10 verses out of that chapter. And if you've got a, if you've got a phone, you can go to version, 
reading out of the New Living Translation, or if you need a Bible on the back, uh, you can track right along as well. Um, Some of these verses, by the way, are in the back of your program. So, John chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria on the way. And eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you. Man, you want to circle that big time because if you only knew the gift God has for you and the gift that he has for each one of us in this room and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for this woman who didn't know you. Who ultimately put her faith in you and told her community about it. Her life was transformed. And just like Liz Curtis Higgs' story, Lord, she had a collision with you. We thank you that you never give up on us, Lord. You pursue us. You pursue us because you love us. Make that a reality in each one of our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this text, we see that it's uh, it's noon. And uh, Jesus had been walking with his disciples. And he, he lands in Samaria by Jacob's well. It's the same Jacob from the Old Testament where... Uh, Jacob had given land around that well to his son Joseph. So that well had been there for a long time. Plus, that well was down 150 feet where it picked up spring water along the way. It had a reputation of being nice, cool, refreshing water. And so it says that Jesus is exhausted. And if any of you have been out working in the hot sun for any amount of time, you know how that you can feel your strength drained from your body. And Jesus had been walking, and, and they believe that this is probably the middle of July, where the temperatures in, in this part of, the, of Israel reach up to 105 degrees. And I think we'd all vote and say, that's pretty hot, right? Uh, no air conditioning in that day as well. So you can see the fatigue on Jesus as he sits down, and he's, he's wanting a, a drink of water. And... A lady comes around, and he ultimately asks her for a drink of water. So that leads us to number one in your notes. Had to go. He had to go. Jesus had to go. 
And uh, the question is, why did he have to go? And that's a very good question. This is where it, it applies to you and to me because um, this would be our life story as well. Let's, let's check it out a little in a little more detail. Verse 4, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. So right off the top, right off the top, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now what's, what's the big deal on this? Well, you go back in history to 722 B.C. when the Assyrians conquered Israel and they occupied the land. They brought Gentiles in to mix with the Jewish community. And so what happened was over time, uh, the Gentiles married uh, the Jews, vice versa. Uh, they were considered a mixed race. The, the pure Jews uh, looked at this Samaritan community as inferior to them. You know, they weren't Gentiles, they weren't Jews, they were half and half. And so uh, the Jews basically signed off on the Samaritan community and said, man, you're a bunch of losers. And they were arrogant about it. And the Samaritans picked up on that. I mean, how many of you would respond in a positive way if you were told you were a loser, right? Not too well. Well, if we take a look at the map this morning, we're going to find out what we're talking about. So before we do, I want you to think about a Neapolitan ice cream. Boy, you just kind of get excited, don't you? I mean, you're, you just feel your, pump, your heart pumping right now. Neapolitan ice cream. Anybody know anything about Neapolitan ice cream? Three flavors, right? Chocolate, strawberry, and vanilla. And you can, you can eat it all at the same time, all three, boom. Man, it tastes so good. So use Neapolitan ice cream as a, um, a trigger uh, to this map. Every time you go to your maps in your Bible, you'll be able to think, I'm Neapol- you have to go to, re- to the freezer and pull out your Neapolitan ice cream and enjoy it. The reason being is uh, in Israel, you had three major regions, Galilee, to the north, Samaria in the middle, Judea to the south. And so Samaria, to the Jew, had a big X on it. On their, on their maps of Israel, the Jews would get out their magic marker and they'd just wipe it out and say, we will never enter that ground because the Samaritans live there. If the Jews would go to Google Maps, you know, and say, hey, I want the, I want the fastest route from Judea to Nazareth, what, what would Google Maps say? It would say, go straight north, get on. Let's see, let's figure out going north. Highway 51. No. No, no. 39. 39. 39 goes north. It goes to the Arctic Circle. So you're going to go north. But to a Jew, they would ignore their Google Maps app on their phones. Instead, they would 
they would cross over the Jericho River, go up north, cut back to the west to get into Galilee. They would totally ignore that part of the, of the country. They thought that, and this is the way they were raised, if it takes me twice as long to get up north, I have no problem with it because there's no way I'm going to go through Samaria. That was the mindset of this culture, what we're talking about right now. They despised each other. The Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. So, so, when, so when you look at those three regions, you know, you got the chocolate, the strawberry, and the vanilla. Now you've got it all figured out, right? You're good to go? All right. So... Down in Texas, is there, is there a song down in Texas called Down in Texas? Yeah, maybe. Here's an article. The rival gang members risked their lives to get baptized together in Texas maximum security prison. This article talks about this chaplain going into this maximum security prison. And these men that are in rival gangs. They were in rival gangs before they, they got arrested and put in this prison. They were getting baptized together. I want you to think about that. And these men knew that when they went public with their faith in prison, they were putting their lives at risk. That ever happened to you? Hmm? No, no. Rival gang members risked their lives to get baptized together in this Texas maximum security prison. Because when these guys were on the streets, man, they hated each other, just like the Jews and the Samaritans. They, they, would, they would just as, you know, I'll, I'll pull out my, my trigger and then I'll shoot you, man. I'll blow you away, I'll take you out. That's, that's what they were thinking. So that's the hatred that we were, were looking at between the, the Jews and the Samaritans. Now, Jesus had to go to Samaria because there was one woman who had a horrific past, kind of like Liz Higgs. And she felt like she had an X on her forehead, like she was never going to be good enough. She was never be loved the way she wanted to be loved. And she carried that weight around her. Jesus knew exactly what this woman, her past, everything about her, and he purposed to go through Samaria. He broke through cultural rules and regulations. It didn't matter to him. Now this morning, I would like just to throw that out to you, how cool it is to have a God who is not an exclusive God, that you've got to be part of a secret club to get into his kingdom, you know? Or you have to go through this hoop and this hoop and this hoop, you know? Anybody, everybody, no matter what race, what culture, what part of the world you were born in, you have the same freedom to put your faith in Christ and go to heaven to be with Jesus forever and ever. That's amazing. And Jesus proved it by this demonstration of his love even in Samaria. And so he he purposed, I'm going to Samaria. I'm breaking all the rules and regulations in the religious culture of that particular day. Because somebody needs to hear 
about Christ. So, Jesus says to this woman, please give me a drink, which is interesting. Now, Jesus, in Luke 19.10, says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That's, again, that is for anybody and everybody. And that's the heart of God, to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus sought out this woman because she needed to hear this message of hope. Which leads us to number two, God's gift. Look at verse 9. The woman was surprised... For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Why? Because that was the culture of the day. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why why are you asking me for a drink? She knew that was countercultural. And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. So this woman... It's interesting. She recognizes that Jesus is there without a bucket, and he doesn't have a rope to drop the bucket down into that well. She's thinking temporary. Jesus is thinking eternal. Big difference there. That's where a lot of us, we get hung up on our buckets, you know, and we we go through life and we just throw stuff in the bucket, and we think we're going to have to carry this thing with us wherever we go for the rest of our life, you know. This is how I'm going to earn my way into heaven or, you know, do enough good stuff. Jesus didn't bring a bucket. And he didn't bring a rope because he's not talking about temporary. He's talking about eternal to this lady. So, here we have it. Jesus says, if, if, and you want to, man, circle that word, if, if you only knew the gift God has for you. This morning, friend, God has a gift for you if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, which is the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. You would ask me, and I would give you living water, you know, living water. So what, yesterday there was an article um, titled, Bottled Water Sold at Whole Foods Target Found with High Levels of Arsenic. So for all of you serious water drinkers out there, who go to Whole Foods and Target, your water's got arsenic in it. Aren't you excited about that? Huh? You're not excited. Okay. All right. Can I tell you a secret? This woman who's so caught up in getting this, this water that Jesus is offering to her, she's still thinking temporary. She's still thinking about the well. The stuff that we try to do in our lives... You know, to fill the holes in our lives, to cover the pain, whatever, it's all got an element of arsenic in it. It's going to kill you in the process. It's not going to get you into heaven. Arsenic has a death sentence on it. And Jesus was presenting this message to this Samaritan woman to have her move from the temporary way of living to the eternal, and putting worth and value upon her life. And so, Romans 5.15 reinforces what Jesus had just told this woman. It says, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. There it is, that gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness 
to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. His gift of forgiveness. There you have it. The gift of salvation. It's free. And Jesus is is moving the envelope, so to speak, across the table there for this woman to begin to understand. Let's not just get locked up on the temporary stuff of life. There's something even more important than that, and that is your soul, the condition of your soul. And so um, Jesus is, is telling this woman, hey, there's a gift for you. Number three, no hiding. Verse 15, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get this water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. You see, this lady, this woman, we, we get to know something about her because she's coming to the well around noon. In the culture of that day, women from Sychar would leave early morning, late night, in the cool of the day, to bring their buckets to the well and fill them. And they would do it together. They would do it as a community. The ladies would, would text each other, hey, we're leaving at 701, uh, be out on Main Street, and we'll all move together towards, towards the well. Everybody give a thumbs up, we're ready to go. They never did it to the Samaritan woman. She was considered an outsider, an outcast. Because she's coming to the, to the well at noon all by herself. And she's coming in the heat of the day. Why would she do that? It's because these women have shut her out. She's not part of their club. Man, she's had so many mistakes. You know, her life is so messed up. She's got a horrific history, man. You can't, you can't be a part of our club. You're not good enough. And so this Samaritan woman has been living with that loneliness and rejection year after year. And so Jesus, you know, in order to set this woman free, he recognizes that she needs to bring her past to Jesus and be honest about it. You see, our culture today says you have to live with a mask on. You've got to hide who you really are to be accepted. You know, you've got to perform, and the list goes on and on. And there's so many people, what they do, every mistake, or when something bad happens to them, they just throw it in the bucket, and they go on. They never deal with it. They never bring it to the Lord. And, and Jesus recognizes that um, just by ignoring your past or ignoring the problems that you're facing, it's not going to make you a better person. We need to come as we are, bringing everything with us and putting it on the table in front of the Lord and say, Lord, this is me. This is everything about me. This lady was realizing that she could not hide her life from Jesus. Friend, this morning, if you think you can hide what you're doing with your life and you're going to get away with it, you know, God doesn't see it, let me tell you, that's not true at all. He sees everything and he knows everything. 
And it's not because he hates you. And this woman, this Samaritan woman, is realizing, wow, if I tell Jesus I don't have a husband, is he going to get ticked off at me? He's going to, is he going to pack up and leave? You know? It seems like he's taking an interest in me. So if he knows that I'm, you know, I went through five husbands and I'm, not, and I'm living with the sixth guy, he's probably going to get ticked off, think I'm worthless. But look at this. Jesus says, you're right, you don't have a husband You've had five, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with. You certainly spoke the truth. There's no criticism. There's no anger. There's no lecture on what a mess you've made of your life, lady. You know? It's hopeless. None of that. No lectures. Jesus wasn't seeking perfection. He was wanting honesty from this woman. Why? Because... She had to realize she needed something bigger than herself. She had tried to fill it with all kinds of stuff over over her life. And it wasn't satisfying. It wasn't fulfilling. Jesus said in Mark 2.17, explaining his mission in life, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Do you know that I had to realize that in my life? Even though I grew up in a Christian home, I couldn't couldn't live this life off my father and my mother. I had to, to connect the dots myself. I had to put my faith in Jesus. And Jesus is is working with this woman to help her realize that her life, even with all the mistakes and all the pain and all the suffering. He was there to make a difference for her. You see, Blaise Pascal has a quote. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator made known through Jesus. Liz Curtis Higgs was trying to fill that void with all kinds of stuff, medicating herself, lifestyles, etc., and she still kept coming up empty. The Samaritan woman's doing likewise. She's trying to fill that hole with everything but God. And God is saying, wait a minute, that vacuum is there on purpose, and I'm here to fill it. And I'm the only one that can fill it. Which leads us to number four. What's this woman do? She's pushing back. Verse 19, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. You know what she's doing here? She's changing the topic. (laughs) She's changing the subject. She, she's kind of doing a, okay, you're kind of drilling in on my life. I'm going to flip the card, so to speak, and say, man, you must be a prophet, you know? Big distraction. So tell me why it is that you, can, you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshiped. And Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman. You see, she's trying to go to, re- to the religious topic. Jews worship here. Samaritans worship here. She's going to religion, not a relationship. But notice how Jesus responds to it. He ignores her deflection, and he goes back to the truth here. Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it's no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem, 
You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Well, we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here and now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Look at this conversation, man. It's gone full circle. This woman starts out trying to change the topic. Jesus comes back and says, listen, religion doesn't matter. I am here to tell you that God desires us to worship him in spirit and in truth. What's what's he talking about? He's talking about the new covenant. And he is the new covenant. And he's there with this woman. You don't have to go to church to worship God. Jesus is saying you can worship him in spirit and in truth, which means you can be anywhere at any time, any place with any person, and you can worship almighty God. Isn't that cool? Seven days a week. You don't have to just go on Sundays. That's what he's talking about. Lady, there's coming a time, and guess what? Guess what? He's going he's gonna to keep moving down, down the slide here. Number five, I am the gift. So he's, he's, he's talking about there's coming a day. In fact, the day is now. Verse 26, he says, I am the Messiah. She said, oh, by the way, the Messiah is coming. And he says, I am the Messiah. How do you think she felt? Verse 28, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Now you can imagine when Jesus said, I am the Messiah. In the Greek, it, it, it would read, for the one who speaks to you, I am. I am was the name that God revealed himself to Moses all the way back in Exodus 3. I am. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is claiming his identity with God here. This lady comes from water in the middle of the day, and she's meeting the water of life instead. Man, what a privilege for her. And we see the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everybody. This woman evidently had put her faith in Jesus Christ between verse 26 and 27. Because the most important thing to her before Jesus came was that her water jug would be filled. And after her conversation with Jesus and after placing her faith in Christ, what's most important? She leaves the bucket behind and runs to the village because she's got the best news ever to tell those in her community. The same people that ignored her, the same people that shunned her, the same people that put an X on her forehead and said, you're not good enough. That news is so amazing, she goes back to that community and tells them all about it. Friend, this bucket can represent so many things in your life and my life. And it's so easy to keep this thing with us wherever we go. We haul it around. 
you know, because it's every, every mistake, every failure, every rejection, man, we just throw it in there. And we think, you know what? I'm not good enough for God to use me. That was the mentality of this woman until Jesus spoke into her life and said, I'm greater than all of your past and your present. I'm going to give you an awesome future because I am the Messiah. That's what we need to do, man. We need to drop the bucket that's holding us back for that next step in our walk with Christ. What is it? What is it? What's in your bucket that's holding you back? Well, come and see. Jesus understood how to rescue spiritually dying people. You know what's cool? We go back to the beginning, to the hatred the Jews had for the Samaritans and the Samaritans had for the Jews. I want you to think about this. Instead of Jesus going into the town of Sychar himself, what's he do? He kind of camps out by the well. And he knows this one woman. He knows everything about her. Even though he knows everything about her, he loves her. And that's the cool thing about God. God knows everything about our past and our present. And he loves us most. That's a great demonstration of love. So what does God do? Jesus goes by this well, and he waits for the Samaritan woman, and he tells her, basically, the gift of salvation, this living water that she can have by putting her faith in the Messiah. So instead of Jesus going into Sychar and being rejected because he's Jewish, he sends the woman who's a Samaritan, who's a Samaritan like the rest of the community. And she tells the community, and what do they do? They come out to find Jesus. Jesus has you and I positioned in our world strategically because you and I can relate to the people in our life. God wants to use you, and he wants to use you to bring that great news, that gift of salvation to the communities, work, school, neighborhoods. That's what he's wanting and he's desiring. So we see that um, number six, tell it, I believe it. Look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus Because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. And so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and what and to believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Do you know, this is pretty incredible, that the Samaritans were the first to call Jesus the Savior of the world in the Bible? The Samaritans that were rejected by the Jews, you know, they were the losers, you know, they were the nobodies. They were the ones, not the Jews, who called Jesus the Savior of the world. Man, what a great lesson in the power of the gospel. this lady, the Samaritan woman, met Jesus. He spoke into her life. 
loved her even though her past was really messed up, transformed her life, and she couldn't stop talking about him. Isn't that interesting? There were, there were no classes for her how to tell your, your life story, you know, in, through evangelism or going through so many hoops before you can tell somebody about Jesus. The same day she put her faith in Christ, what's she doing? She's going back to her community to tell her story. Now, we, I'm not knocking discipleship, follow-up, etc., friend, but what happens is we tend to get so caught up, I don't know enough of the Bible to tell people about Jesus. And we're paralyzed for the rest of our lives. We need to be liberated from that kind of thinking. Tell your story. This is the way I was, and this is who I am today because of what Jesus did in my life. That's exactly what Liz Curtis Higgs did at her job. Boom, right off the bat, we have that same opportunity. And the question is, what are we talking about? You know, are we still hauling our buckets with us wherever we go? You know, and those topics in our buckets, that's all we ever talk about? The most important message you and I can ever tell somebody else is about the great love of Jesus Christ and how he paid for their sin debt so that they could go to heaven to be with him when they die. That's the greatest message, the greatest topic that you can communicate. And we have that opportunity. The Savior of the world transformed the life of the Samaritan woman who in turn transformed the life of the community in Sychar. The ripple effect. The power of the gospel. Wherever it goes, it transforms people. Watch this video. We'll come back in a few moments. A hundred billion galaxies. That's what's out there beyond this little ball we live on called Earth. Makes you feel kind of small, doesn't it? Until you know the story. The God who made billions of galaxies has been here and become one of us. And the reason he did is what the story is all about. He's so big, but he's so close. And this is a story only God can tell. It's in his book, The Bible, the world's best-selling book ever. The story begins with this infinite God creating people like us for a breathtaking destiny to be loved by him in a personal relationship that never ends. This all-powerful God says in his book we were created by him and for him. So life's biggest question, well, it's why am I here? That's the answer, to revolve our life around the awesome creator who gave us our life. But God says all of us have left God's paths to follow our own. We've basically said, God, you run the universe and uh, I'll run me. In reality, deciding we'd be our own God, sinning over and over against the God who made it all. The Bible says the penalty for our cosmic rebellion is separation from him. The soul that sins shall die. So no amount of religion or doing good can possibly pay a spiritual death penalty. We're away from God, life without meaning now, and eternity without hope. But see, the story doesn't end there. The God of the universe came down from his heaven on a rescue mission, looking for us. His name is Jesus. The Bible says God showed how much he loves us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. 
And here's where it becomes the greatest love story ever. He loves you so much that he died for you. As the Bible says, he loved me and gave himself for me. The Creator God, willingly dying on a tree he made, nailed there by men he created, to take on himself all the penalty, all the hell, for every wrong thing you've ever done. Nobody loves you like he does. And three days later, Jesus walked out of his grave so he could walk into your life today. And you know you will write the last chapter of the story. As you make one of two choices, grab him like a drowning person would grab a rescuer, pinning all your hopes on him, or walk away without him, maybe forever. Jesus stands ready right now to forgive every sin, to tear down the wall between you and God, to fill that hole in your heart, and to take you to heaven when you die. If you want to begin this relationship that you were made for, would you tell him that right now? In words, something like this. God, I was made by you and for you, but I've hijacked the running of my life, and that's over today. I believe Jesus died to pay my death penalty and then rose from the dead. So right here and right now, I'm pinning all my hopes on Jesus to forgive my sin and begin the relationship with you I was made for. Jesus, I'm yours. Now, if you just prayed that and you meant what you prayed, you're home now in the love you were made for. The God who is so big is now so close. And your story has really just begun. Father, we thank you how you went after this Samaritan woman who culture had signed off on and you had to go to Samaria. And we are grateful that you had to come to earth as the Son of God to go to the cross to pay for our sin, sin that you never had in your life. You exchanged your righteousness for our sin. What a gift, Lord. And I pray for each person in this room today that if they have never said yes to you, if they've been pushing you away, making excuses why they're not good enough. Today, Lord, we come as we are. And we say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for paying my sin debt. I put all my trust in you. Forgive me and come into my life and become my spiritual leader for the rest of my days. Lord, we thank you for that gift of salvation, the most important decision, Lord, that we can ever make. We can receive you or we can reject you. You give us that power to choose. Lord, may we say yes to you this morning. And Father, if we have that relationship, help us to tell others about it. Help us, Lord, to tell our story on how you changed our lives so that they in turn can come and put their trust in you as well. 
So we thank you today, Lord. You've modeled what love is all about. And we thank you for that demonstration. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for coming out this morning. And just a couple things. Um, The invitation CD, you've heard us talk about it before at the back wall in the foyer. It explains what it means to be a follower of Christ. It, uh, it goes through um, arguments against salvation. You know, it walks through that whole process and puts clarity on what it means to be a follower of Christ. And then what's your next step? Once you put your faith in Christ, this gives you some good wisdom to follow. These next steps of living with Jesus, those are free for you in the foyer. to him as you point people to Christ for the rest of your life.